chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. For the last few Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, we've been focusing on the first part of chapter 5, which is uh, the Beatitudes. And so, uh, go ahead and turn to the first part of Matthew 5. Some of these Beatitudes or, or blessings, they're pretty familiar. And um, a more, more comfortable, you might say. For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are the meek or the gentle. Those are familiar, and, and really they're pretty simple. They're far from being easy, but they are simple. But what we're going to look at today is, is not so much a familiar beatitude. In fact, it's, it's not comfortable at all. It's, it's something that's so important Jesus actually doubles up his instruction on, which is very ironic to me because the only thing that he actually doubles up his instruction on in the beatitudes is the one thing we as Christians completely overlook. And especially we in the American church have downplayed this aspect of Christianity so much that, uh, that you may not even realize that it was part of the Beatitudes. We're going to look today at the blessing of persecution. The blessing of persecution. That seems kind of a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Blessed is the person, happy is the person who is persecuted for Jesus' sake. But that's precisely what Jesus teaches us in our passage today. And, and so as we look at this text, I want you to see that persecution, for a Christian, persecution is coming. Therefore, we must prepare for it. And when we're, when we're in it, we need to be happy in it. So in honor of God's Word, please stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 3, but we're going to focus on verses 10 to 12 today. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Thank you. you may be seated. Now Jesus has been teaching the first part of Matthew 5, and he closes this section of Beatitudes in kind of a weird way, it's, it, it may seem like. Because it almost seems like a, a non sequitur, like it just doesn't follow, right? I mean, if, if we are doing what Jesus says to do, and, and that's what we should all be doing because this is instruction for every Christian. But if we're doing what Jesus says to do, if we're poor in spirit, if we're being gentle or meek, if we're being forgiving, if, if we're being compassionate, if we're doing all those things, it would look like instead of persecution, we would experience everybody's favor. Like we'd be the toast of the town, like, like people would, uh, would like us, like people would like to be around us. And so it seems weird on the surface that Jesus is, is telling us that persecution is going to come if you live like you just said. But when you begin to think about it, it, doesn't make, it makes a little more sense. I think it all has to do with mankind's basic desire for darkness rather than light. Let's think of it this way. When you're dead set on doing something wrong, there's usually that voice in the back of your, in the back of your head, right? Your conscience saying, you ought not do that. Better not be doing that. Now, Jeff, 
you know better. Don't do it. You all experience that, right? Your conscience. And what do you do? If you are dead set on doing whatever it is, you try to silence that conscience. You try to, to hush it up so you feel more at ease with whatever it is you're going to do that's wrong. Well, that's what happens inwardly, and the same thing happens outwardly. Just imagine that you're a person of the world, and you're getting ready to do something that's wrong, or you're involved in something already that's wrong, and there's this pesky Christian that keeps telling you, you know what, you ought not do that. You shouldn't be doing that. You know better than that. You were raised better than that. And that pesky Christian keeps telling you, keeps calling you to, to something better, something higher. What are you going to do? What's your reaction going to be? You're going to try to silence the outer voice just like you did the inner voice. And that's where that persecution comes from. Now, someone would say, but Pastor, you don't know me. I'm very non-confrontational. And I'm, personally, I hate confrontation. Some people love it. They thrive on it. I don't like it at all. And maybe you say, you know, you don't understand because I would never tell somebody what they're doing is wrong. I just can't bring myself to confront somebody that way. Listen, if you are living the way that you should and your words and your life match up, if you're walking the talk, in other words, your life is going to be confrontational in itself. Just imagine that maybe you and a co-worker, you and a, your spouse, you and a friend, whoever it is, you both get offended by the same person at the same time. They call you some name, whatever it is. And you're real mad at that person. I mean, you're mad enough to spit nails. You just, boy, you, you wouldn't mind it if they just had a flat tire every day of their lives. You're just real mad at them. But your friend forgives them. You don't. What's your reaction going to be towards your friend? Well, you're mad at that person because of what they did, but now you're mad at the person that, that, that should, have, should be mad with you, right? Because we all love company whenever we're upset. You're mad at that person. Why? Because that person's attitude, they, they have forgiven that person, and their life is confronting you with the fact, hey, you haven't forgiven, and, and Christ says forgive. So our lives... If we are living them like they're, like they're supposed to be lived, our lives are going to be confrontational as well as our words. And so when Jesus says, do all these things, be poor in spirit, mourn over your sin, all these different things, Jesus says if you will live like that, persecution is going to come. And, and that's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that's an easy text to read in church. But when we think about it, he says all who live, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Probably very few, if any of us, that are sitting here today, could honestly say, I have been persecuted for my faith. Can anybody honestly say, I really have been persecuted? Not, you know, one of my friends said, oh, you're a Christian? Ha, ha, ha. Well, I guess you can't. Oh, you're a Baptist, guess you can't go go to the dance, ha, 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 and just go on. I'm not talking about something like that. I mean honestly persecuted. But the text says all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to be persecuted. And if we don't experience, why, experience that, why is it? I say part of the reason that's the case is because, frankly, we don't live like we should most of the time. Have you ever considered that? We, we read, all who, are going to, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't experience persecution. That means 
at least the possibility is I'm not living like I should be. That's not comfortable, is it? Too many of us, I think, most of the time, are just going along with the flow of, of the culture. We're not going against the culture. We're not in collision with the culture. We're in collusion with the culture. We're just going along. We're not running head-on into it. And that's to our shame. That is one possibility, but another reason that we, that we don't experience persecution is the environment in which we live. And this is a good thing, because we... As Americans, we as Christian Americans have been fortunate enough to be born in America. You realize that you didn't have to be born here, right? You could have been born in you know, Sudan or, or Iraq or some other place. It's, it's simply by God's grace that we live here. And this, that is a blessing. And we've been, we've been raised in a country that was founded largely either by Christians or people who are sympathetic to the Christian worldview or at the very least held freedom of religion to be a high ideal. They, they, they treasured religious liberty. But sadly, our culture is drifting away from that anchor. But we know that Christians in other lands are not so fortunate, don't we? There are people today who are suffering because of their faith. And most of the time, we in America are insulated from it. We don't even think about it. But there have been a couple of cases that have even made it into the secular media, the Christian persecution that's been on the news. For instance, Saeed Aboudini. Has anybody heard of him? He's a, he's a Christian pastor, Iranian descent. He spent some time in Iran leading a church, uh, house church movement. He, he was, came back to America. In 2012, he was in uh, Iran building an orphanage. He was arrested. They arrested him and put him in a brutal prison for eight years, they sentenced him for that long. He's still in prison because he would not renounce his faith. He's an Islamic country. He's a Christian. They said, you can't be doing that. You can't be proselytizing. He spent years in prison being abused. Recently, they took him to a hospital where he got some care and treatment. That was a positive development. I read that just the other day, they took him back to prison, but before they did, they severely beat him, then sent him back to prison because he's a Christian. And here we are sitting here on Sunday morning, insulated from it. One that's probably uh, gained more attention uh, worldwide is Miriam Ibrahim. You say, I don't recognize that name either. She's that pregnant lady. She actually just gave birth this past week. She's the pregnant lady. Her father was a, a Muslim. Her mother was an or was Orthodox Christian. She was raised Orthodox Christian, married a Christian man. But it was in Sudan, which again is, uh, has Islamic law. And they said, you have to renounce your faith. And she said, I won't do it. So they sentenced her, not to prison, they sentenced her to death. Because she won't, she won't say, you know, I'm, I'm going with Islam. She was in prison. She had her baby in her prison cell this past week. Now because she married a Christian man... The court said, your, uh, your marriage is invalid. They annulled it. And because of that, and she had been pregnant, that means she was charged with adultery then as well. And she was sentenced to 100 additional lashes because of this supposed adultery. Because she's a Christian. Because she will not renounce her faith. Jesus said, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted. We don't know persecution in America. We're beginning to see some of it in, in, in some, at some level, but not what some of these other people are going through. And we can read about that. We can read about what happened to the first century Christians. And we say, I don't experience that. That is a good thing. We're fortunate. Paul suffered more than probably any other Christian. He suffered more for the cause of Christ than probably anybody else. And here's what he said. He said our ambition should be to live a quiet, peaceable life. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to be cast into prison. Don't, don't go seeking it. But when you do experience, Jesus said, rejoice. Now, if you'll look at verses 10 and 11, you'll see that persecution covers a wide range of action. Um, persecution means to put to flight. It means that there's a group of people or a person that's pursuing someone else in order to uh, injure them, to put them to death. So that's persecution. But then in, in verse 11, Jesus expands this persecution out. So it's not only... Uh, endangering someone's life or killing them but it also includes insults, oppression discrimination, slandering you the seizure of property and again if you look at verse 10 what's the cause of this persecution he said blessed are those who have been persecuted for what the sake of righteousness see it's because people are falling in line with Jesus and what he taught it's not because the Christians are seeking persecution it's not because Christians are are uh, are crotchety old bats. You know what I mean? It's not because people are, are mean. It's not because they're doing wrong that persecution's happening. <coughs> Listen, some people want to claim persecution anytime somebody says something mean to them. If you're unpleasant to be around and somebody tells you that, don't expect Jesus to pat you on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's not what he's talking about. This is doing what God commands in the Bible. Somebody has well noted that Jesus and the thieves all ended up on the cross. All on the same crosses. The condemnation was the same, but their cause was not. And that's what makes persecution of the Christian different. It's not, you know, if you do something wrong and, and something bad happens to you, don't think that's persecution. Jesus said the reason to be happy and rejoice in verse 10 is because yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is not saying... If somebody treats you bad and you just smile and take it and bless them instead of cursing and all those things that we're commanded to do, don't think that God's going to say, you just earned your way into heaven. You got to punch. You got to get to punch your ticket. Come on in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when you respond the correct way, you're showing where you really belong. And one day after this life is over, after you breathe your last, you will, you will gain that inheritance that's been reserved for you. The kingdom of heaven will be yours. <coughs> Sorry, my allergies are killing me today. But look at verse 11. Because Jesus repeats this blessing, repeats this instruction. And again, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. And notice that, that qualification again. Because of me. Peter tells us not to suffer as evildoers. But Jesus says when... When you're just living your life and, and because of me people are, are mistreating you, you're blessed. You're fortunate. You should be happy. And then look again at what it says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. That word be glad literally means leap for joy. 
Jesus is saying you should be so happy when somebody maligns your name, when they slander you, when they tear you down in the office. You should be so happy you leap for joy. That's counterintuitive. Isn't it? That doesn't make any sense. I read this past week uh, from Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there was a man in the 1500s, I believe it was. He was, he was taken to be burned at the stake. When he saw the wood piled up there, he leapt for joy. Because he, he thanked God that God had chosen him to suffer for the cause of Christ. That's some devotion right there. Now, the wording used is leap for joy. Be glad because God chose you to suffer for Christ. But notice that's not the exact reason Jesus gives we should be leaping for joy. What does he say in verse 12? He says, rejoice and be glad for, here's the reason, your reward in heaven is great. (coughs) Some people have a problem with the idea of rewards. They say we should love virtue, we should love good for the sake of goodness, for the sake of virtue. And if we think of doing things for a reward, we've just cheapened our actions. We shouldn't even think about reward. But that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, rejoice and be glad because reward in heaven is great. Now, understand, suffering through persecution is not a meritorious act. It's not like God says, because you've done this, here's what I'm going to give you. It's not like we've earned it. Because listen, even the reward is an act of grace. Here's what I mean. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus kind of fleshes this out a little bit, but he basically tells the disciples, if you do what you're supposed to do, don't think you're something special. This is, this is the Jeff Radock version of what he says. Don't think you're something special because you've done what you're supposed to do. Just say, this is what we're supposed to do, and be happy with that. Are we, supposed, are, are we going to go through persecution? Yes. Are we supposed to suffer through it? Yes. Are we supposed to have a Christ-like attitude when we're going through it? Yes. Should we bless those who persecute us instead of curse them? Yes. Is that what we're supposed to do? Yes. What does Jesus say? Don't think you're something special because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be doing that anyway. Don't think that God should give you a big reward for it because that's, He commanded you to do it. You're expected to do it. It's incumbent upon you to do it because you're being obedient to God. But here's where the grace comes in. Even though we're just doing what God said to do, He'll reward us. He'll give us a reward. You're showing by your actions where you belong, and that's in heaven. And one of these days, when you get to heaven, you're going, I don't know how this is going to all play. I don't know what the extras are going to be. But God's going to reward us in some way. And God can, God can make some pretty good rewards. You know, I've, I've gone through different things in life, and I thought things were going to turn out this way, and they turned out that way. And usually that way is a whole lot better than this way that I thought was going to turn out. Or I planned, it's, oh, if we can just work it this way, this can happen. And something else happens. It's like, man, I'm glad that didn't happen. Because God has so much better ideas. God can make things a whole lot better than what we can even imagine. And that's why, what did Paul say? The sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. In another place he said, uh, Eye has not seen and ears not heard nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Listen, God is going to reward us. I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I know what's going to happen. Persecution is not something to seek. Don't think that I'm saying fly a plane into a building. I'm not saying that we, we should be seeking some sort of 
pain or agony or death. I'm not saying any of that. I am saying it's not something to seek, but when it comes, Jesus says, rejoice. Not because what's happening is good, because it's not. Insults are not good. Being maligned is not good. Having your property taken is not good. But because we will be rewarded for being faithful when we go through it. And I just wonder, are any of us here today facing some sort of persecution? I'm not saying, you know, somebody has a hood on that's going to cut your head off because you say you're a Christian. I'm not talking about that. But, you know, there have been cases where people have lost their jobs because they won't uh, go along with the world. They want to stay true to Christian principles. There have been things where people have, have been taken to court for it. Are you being mistreated for standing up for Christ? There's somebody in your office place or your, your business where somebody's bad-mouthing you because you're a Christian. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. You say, but that doesn't even compare to having your head cut off or being burned at the stake. Jesus, in, in verse 11, he spread this persecution. Now, he talks about insults and saying all kinds of evil about you falsely. Jesus hadn't forgotten about you. You're going through it. He's right by your side. Jesus, he, he, he has a special place in his heart for those who suffer for him. You say, well, Pastor, <clears throat> I haven't been suffering. Are you living so that the world would even know you're a Christian? Is your life and are your words consistent with what Jesus says? Because that's one of the reasons we don't suffer for it, I think. Because we don't even show up on anybody's radar. And if that, if that describes you, what is it that needs to change? Is it, some, is it the way that you talk? The types of jokes that you tell? You have anger problems? Is it? Uh, there are all kinds of things. Now, for, for anybody that's not a believer, and this is going to be really weird sounding after the sermon I just preached, but you know what? Jesus said, count the cost. He said, before you come to me, you need to count the cost. Jesus doesn't do a bait and switch. You know, there's a there's some car dealerships. I won't name any. But there are some in Springfield even. They'll have this brand new truck. And they'll advertise it for really cheap. And you get there, and they say, oh, sorry, we already sold it. And it's that one truck they'll be selling for that price. But we'll sell you this one that looks just like it for three times the price. You've been something like that, bait and switch. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you come to me, everything's going to be great. I'll just fix everything for you, smooth sailing, bed of roses, I mean sunsets and rainbows all the time. He doesn't do that. He says, you come to me, you're going to be persecuted. That's, you need to count the cost. Are you willing to say, you know what? Jesus is worth it. Even though Jesus says I'm going to be persecuted, I recognize that my sin is so bad I need forgiveness from Him. And I know that I need to follow Him. I know that I need to live for Him. And I know if I do that, I'm going to suffer. But my suffering will not be in vain and I won't be alone. Jesus said, All who come to me, I'll no wise cast out. 
And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never repented of your sin and turned control of your life over to Jesus, you are lost and going to hell. That is not Jeff's word. That's Jesus' words. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And he also says in, in John chapter 3 that unless a person has believed on him, they already stand condemned. That's where all of us are apart from Christ. But you can be forgiven if you'll put your faith in him today.